This morning, um, what we're going to do is we actually are going to do a study related to Christmas on the, on the town of Bethlehem. And uh, so I thought as we, thank you, Nathan, I appreciate that. Okay, so we're going to start, and uh, I thought this would be a great study for us to look at as we come to the Christmas season. And there are several things that I'd like to accomplish as we look at Bethlehem, and uh, we just sang this song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. I'd like to talk about the significance of that. I actually would like to talk about Bethlehem, how it connects to the present study that we are having in, in, uh, in the book of Joshua. I'd like to talk about Bethlehem as it's connected to what's going on now in Israel. And I'd like to talk about Bethlehem as it relates to our Christmas time as well. And so I'd like to accomplish all of those things as we go through. So I have a number of slides because I've learned from Pastor Adam that you really can't preach here unless you have a lot of slides. That's the way it works. And uh, so I thought I would, and he helped me with these actually, which I'm very thankful for. When you first look at the, um, the name Bethlehem, it is naturally coming from a Hebrew word. And when you read the Hebrew, you read from right to left. It's just the opposite. It is confusing when you first start the study because you open up to the very end of the book and that's the beginning of the book. And you also read from right to left. As you look at the Hebrew word, on the right, that is the Hebrew word Beth, which means house. And then if you see the second part off to the, to the left, that would be Lechem, and that simply would mean bread. So when you look at Bethlehem, the word literally means house of bread. Why was this town named that? I'm, I'm not 100% sure, other than in that area, it was sort of a fertile area in the Middle East, which is surprising, but that's the town to Bethlehem that's gonna play a major part in God's program, in God's revelation. Now, when you think of Bethlehem, in the beginning, when Jesus was born, this is where, what it would have looked like. And so as you look at Bethlehem, it just lies southwest of Jerusalem, about six miles. So it's not a great distance. As you look at the map of Israel, you can tell we had just talked last week about Joshua's campaign where he battled the kings of the north and you have Jericho and Ai. And then when you look down to the south as well, you have Lachish. These were the areas that were conquered. That was about 1400 B.C. When you look at this layout, this is sort of the layout of Bethlehem at the time of Christ. Now, at the time of Christ, Bethlehem was not a large town. Thus, you get old little town of Bethlehem. And we want to talk about that. It probably had a population of about 500 people, maybe a little bit more during the time of our Lord's birth. But it was a very small town. It was about 2,300 feet altitude. So if you go from the river and, and it goes up, then that is, is the idea that you go up to Jerusalem or to Bethlehem. It's elevated at that point. Many of the homes were just one room or two room homes. Some in a limestone hill were cut into hills around Bethlehem. So that is the historical reference. 
I did want to show you where it's at now because there is so much in the news about what's going on in Israel. Naturally, off to the, um, to the way left and south, that's Gaza. That's where everything is happening right now. If you look off to the West Bank on the, on the eastern side of, of Israel, then you will see the little town of Bethlehem, which is under Muslim control. It has been. And it sits right there, again, close to Jerusalem. But it's interesting what's going on. In fact, there was just a short article that came out and uh, it was a, a Lutheran pastor because when you look at Bethlehem, although it lies there, it does have part of a Christian population. In fact, as much as 10% of, of Bethlehem is, is possibly Christian as far as its background is concerned. And a Lutheran pastor just took and created his own nativity. And what he did was he took the, the statue of a child and wrapped him up in Palestinian garb, laid him by himself in a rubble of concrete. And you can understand the hardship that is going on in that part of the world right now. Almost all, most of the people that have occupation in Bethlehem, it's so given to tourism. I think it's about 90%. You can imagine what's going on there this year because it's not advised to travel to the Middle East at all. In fact, many of the normal Christian type of activities have been completely canceled in Bethlehem. There might be some that go on, but it will be very limited. This is not an easy time for that little town of Bethlehem. So just to give you perspective on, on what's going on there. Now, as far as the background of Bethlehem, this is interesting. I want to give you a little, why did God choose Bethlehem? How did that ever fit into God's program? And it's sort of a progressive revelation, so I want to quickly go through that with you so you understand more about this town. So when you sing the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, you have much more appreciation for that town. The town itself is actually mentioned in the book of Genesis, chapter 35, verse 19. Do you remember when the town of Jerusalem was first mentioned in the Bible? Just trying to give you a little review. Adam mentioned it last week. Jerusalem was never mentioned until the book of Joshua, chapter 10. Interesting, isn't it? This little town of Bethlehem is mentioned in the very beginning of the book of the Bible in Genesis, this is where Rachel was buried. And I'm not going to go over that whole story, but she was buried in the town of Bethlehem. Now, there's several other things. Again, progressive revelation as you go through Bethlehem, as, as you look at it, the background, the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. If you look at it, notice not from Bethlehem in particular, I'm sorry, it, but this is the background. Notice what it says. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. And what that's simply saying is when the Messianic scriptures began to come out, Judah was the tribe in which the Messiah was going to come. And it goes on to say, your hand shall be on the neck of the enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. 
The scepter shall not depart from Judah. So as you look at the 12 tribes of Israel, God has made it known in his prophecy that the Messiah was going to come from the tribe of Judah. Now that's not directly related to Bethlehem, but it's going to progressively be connected as we watch this take place. As as we think about um, Bethlehem, In the background, most of you, in fact, this is what Adam is going to cover when he continues his series on the the book of uh, Joshua, is actually how the land, after they conquered it, was divided up between the 12 tribes. And if you look at what is going on, what happens is you begin to see where the tribes are being divided up. Here's where, and you can read all of this in the book of Joshua, and we will, we'll go through this. But here's how the tribes are going to line up in their inheritance of the land of Israel. And you notice, as you look at that, that Judah is given a fairly large, on the bottom in the white, Judah is given a fairly large area. So if you start to put two and two together and you're trying to follow the Old Testament scriptures and you realize that the Messiah is going to come from the tribe of Judah and then you realize this is the area that is given to Judah, you start to think, okay, the Messiah is going to come someplace from this area of, of Judah. And so as you think, again, God progressively giving us more and more information that is attributed actually to the Bethlehem background. Then there's a beautiful story that many of you know that takes place at the time of the book of Judges and actually Bethlehem is included in that story Notice it's the story of Ruth that takes place about 1200 B.C. Notice how the book starts. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And so as you look at this beautiful story, the family travels to Moab while they're there. The two sons marry women from Moab, and then the father and the two sons die. And as you know the story, then Elimelech was the man who died, and Naomi, the mother-in-law, Naomi began to return to this, that uh, the section of Judah and to her hometown, which was Bethlehem. And as she traveled back, one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, traveled back with her. It's one of the most beautiful stories in all of Scripture. And as Ruth is there, God brings together Boaz and Ruth, and God blesses them with a child. Notice what it says in Ruth 4.22. Obed fathered Jesse, Jesse fathered David. King David is going to come from this small town of Bethlehem. And so God is bringing together his story. And so we follow that. Bethlehem is now starting to enter into what God is about to do. 
So as, as you look at that and as David is king, at the end of his reign, God gives a very specific promise to David. He says this, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up from your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God says to David, I'm going to establish a kingdom. I'm going to establish a king and he is going to come from your family. And from your family, that one will reign forever. And people, wow, what? This must be the Messiah that's going to come. And this kingdom is going to be a literal kingdom, just like David's kingdom, but it's going to extend. And now we know it's going to come from David's family. This kingdom still is going to come, people. It still is going to come. And so now we have a messianic figure that is going to come from the family of David and we know the Messiah has to come through the, the tribe of Judah. So as we go through, now we come to a, uh, the prophet Micah who lived about 750 to 700 BC. The word of the Lord came to Micah and uh, and it says this, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now notice, as he starts this prophecy, he mentions the two capitals, Samaria and Jerusalem. They are large cities. And the north kingdom is going to go into captivity 722 BC so in the time of Micah the north is going to be led into captivity and then the south is also going to be led into captivity but not until 586 but he addresses both of those towns and it's important for you to see that as he starts because he is going to say look at these two capital cities but there's another place I want to make mention that is so much smaller then these two capital cities and out of that little small town is going to come something tremendous and Micah is going to prophesy that as we shall see. Now as you look at prophets, especially Micah and many of them, there are many warnings that come to these spiritual leaders in Jerusalem. So again, this is about 720 BC. Micah is making this prophecy and notice what he says to the spiritual leaders of his day. It could be made applicable so much to our day, but Micah writes, its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. The, its prophets practice divination for money. They, yet they lean, they, they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come. Notice, they're paid off, they're in the ministry just for money, and they say, God's with us, and yet they're saying, there won't be any disaster, there won't be any judgment that's going to come. And yet it does come. They weren't sent by God, and it's one of the reasons that the judgment came so harshly upon this nation. As you go on, 
always in the prophets, there's always mention of hope. And that's what I love about reading the prophets. And I, and I just want to read one section. You can follow along if you want in your own Bible or just listen as I read these verses from Micah. He says, now it shall come to pass, this is Micah 4.1, in the latter days, that's when the Messiah is going to come. It says that the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. Remember, Bethlehem and Jerusalem are in the mountainous area. Many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion, the law shall go forth and the word of the Lord. The prophecy is that Jerusalem will be at the center. God will reign from Jerusalem and nations will flow into it and admire and worship God. That's what all the Jewish people were hoping for. It goes on to say, he shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords in the plowshares and their spears in the pruning hooks. You can almost see Jerusalem or even the Jews of our day over the day that there would be peace. That's what this is talking about. And peace will come. And that's the great hope and the promise, the golden age, the age of the Messiah. Micah is prophesying that in the midst of all the judgment that will come. Great hope, great hope. And then the last phrase of the verse, neither shall they learn war anymore. Wouldn't that be refreshing today if that would come to place? It's not here yet, but it will happen and also in the very same in the very same chapter though a continued warning is going to take place he says this in Micah 4:10 you shall dwell in the field and go to Babylon you shall go so he prophesies again about the Babylonian captivity which is going to take a place 100 years after Micah writes this but he tells he says it is going to happen and so Micah prophesies that in 410 about the Babylonian captivity. But then in the very next chapter, we have this verse. And this is where we wanted to arrive. This is all the background leading up to Bethlehem. And then Micah writes this. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth to me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Now, as, as you look at this whole prophecy, it's pretty amazing as you think about what Micah just stated because anybody studying the word of God seriously would realize God is saying that the Messiah is gonna come out of Bethlehem. This is an insignificant town. In fact, as, as Adam will lead us through and as we look at the um, 
the, the conquerings of Israel over the tribes in 1400 BC, and as they come in and conquer, then it lists and it breaks down Judah. It lists over a hundred of the cities in Judah when the, when the land was given to Judah. Out of those hundred cities, Bethlehem is not even named. You can look at it in Joshua chapter 15. It is so insignificant, this town. I just tried to reflect maybe something we could compare it to. I wondered, let's just say we're living in the 1800s. And as we're living, somebody came up to us and said, would you tell me where the president of the United States in 1977 would be born? What would you say to them if you were living in the 1800s? You say, good night, I don't know. And yet, what if a person came back and said, you know, in Plains, Georgia, that's where the president is going to be born. Plains, Georgia, there's only 500 people that live in that little town. Who in the world? Why would you pick a president? For, but that's exactly, Jimmy Carter was born in Plains, Georgia, in a town about the size of Bethlehem. We could have never prophesied that. And what's so beautiful as you look at the word of God, it is so specific and it's saying in Bethlehem, the Messiah is going to be born. The humblest of beginnings. Mary and Joseph, insignificant people, poor, forced to travel for numbers of days from a small town in the north to a small little town in Bethlehem because this was the city of Joseph. This is where he had to come to register for the tax. This is where he, his family, was from. In fact, the book of Matthew, the big book of Luke and genealogies give you all this information. The inn was too crowded, so they were encouraged to find refuge in a stable accompanied by animals. No royal family, just Mary and Joseph. No capital city, just Bethlehem. No palace, simply a stable. This isn't the only passage that speaks about the small beginnings. There's a passage in the book of Isaiah that says this, for he shall grow up before him, speaking of the Messiah, Isaiah 53, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness than when we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He wasn't going to be desirable physically. He wasn't going to have great beginnings, so to speak. And Bethlehem signifies exactly that. In fact, there's a passage I just want to read and again simply listen because this is the followers of the Messiah. Notice what the scriptures say about them. For you see your calling, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh shall glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification 
and redemption. That it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. The Messiah was going to have humbly, humble beginnings. And his followers were going to have humble beginnings. Why should we rally around Bethlehem? Bethlehem reminds us of, reminds us, of us. We're Bethlehem. We're small and insignificant, but precious to God. Bethlehem symbolizes that for us. And we should rejoice in that. The small beginnings of Bethlehem. So it says again, O little town of Bethlehem, you who are so little, you who are so insignificant, But it says more than that. As you consider this verse that we find in Micah, and you know, there are many other prophecies given in detail about the Messiah, not just Bethlehem. It prophesies that he would be sold for money. It prophesies he would be struck and spat on. It prophesies that he would be crucified A thousand years before Christ, even before crucifixion was invented, all of these prophecies and all of these details, there's over 30 of them that were completely fulfilled in Christ's first coming. God knows what he's doing. And yet there's something that's even more amazing as you look at this passage. Notice what it says as as you look at it. It says, but you, O Bethlehem, you're little among the clans, but the one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This is the amazing thing. Not only from Bethlehem, this one who is coming to Bethlehem is from ancient of days and the idea is days of eternity. The idea that he didn't have a beginning. This Messiah who is coming is far more than an ordinary man. He doesn't have a beginning according to this verse. Jesus is far more than simply a man and that's why Christianity is far more than any other type of religion because God is at the very center. Remember when Jesus was here, they, Jesus said that, that um, um, he said that your father Abraham said it to the Jews, rejoice to see my day. And the Jews got so angry. Who are you? You're not even 50 years old. How in the world could you say that, we, that you saw Abraham? And Jesus simply replied, before Abraham won, before I saw Abraham, I am. He existed far before Abraham And as you study the New Testament scriptures, it talks about Jesus being the brightness of his glory, of God's glory, being the very expressed image of his person. And it says, as the Father speaks to the Son in Hebrews 1, he says, your throne, O God, is forever. This messianic figure is God from eternity. That's what this passage is saying. That's what Micah is prophesying to us. And that's so important for us as we think through. In fact, as, as you think through, there's another passage that, that 
is very similar, and that's in Psalm 90, verse 2, where it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So that's who we have. That's what we learn about as, as we think. So not only do we learn that he had a humble beginning, not only do we learn that he is divine and he's God, but something else as we bring it to a close. Remember, it says house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. And Jesus in his ministry says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. This was all planned by God, the house of bread to bring out the one who was the bread of life. And every person that would put his confidence and faith and trust in Jesus would gain eternal life. Jesus goes on to say, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the life life of the world is my flesh. Jesus was that living bread. And in two ways. One, if you're an unbeliever, you can gain eternal life. Through him. And if you're a believer, it's the understanding this bread needs to be taken every day. It speaks about a daily life with Jesus. Believer, do you have that or do you ignore the great privilege that the bread of life is offering? This bread, this town of Bethlehem really represents all of that. When Jesus talks about eternal life, he's talking about this kingdom that he is gonna set up. And you know, it's so interesting to me because you look at the Palestinians who, who, who come up with the idea, idea from, the, from the river to the sea, which means exterminate the Jews. And you have the Jewish people who are trying to claim the land because they're threatened and they're fighting over this land. Who gets the land in the end? Jesus actually told us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a literal kingdom and land. And Jesus is saying, those who are bankrupt spiritually, that humble themselves before the Messiah, that admit that they're sinners and cling to him, they will inherit this kingdom. There's another. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Psalm 37, which Jesus again quotes on the Sermon on the Mount, simply saying, the meek and the lowly. So even the word Bethlehem is suggesting it's the meek and the lowly that are going to gain access and hold on to this kingdom, to this land. Jesus also said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you're a great ruler in in Israel, but unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. A new birth is necessary. It is interesting because as you look at the factions that are fighting for the land even today, Bethlehem teaches only the lowly are going to gain it. 
And so you look at both groups and you say, who gains the land? And I would have to say neither. Neither is going to gain the land because it goes to them who have been born again that trust in Christ. Are you a part of this new kingdom that Jesus is going to set up? I pray that you are. Bethlehem is such a beautiful small town. It's in pandemonium today. It's in the midst of a battle today, but to us that are believers, it represents the town in which our Messiah was born. It represents the bread of life. It represents that first Christmas. And if we embrace that Messiah, we will be a part of his kingdom. Praise God for the little town of Bethlehem that worked and brought forth the great Messiah to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the history of this small town and how you ordained everything to take place according to your scriptures. We're so thankful that Jesus did come and died and rose again from the dead that we might receive forgiveness of sins and be a part of the eternal kingdom that was promised to David. Jesus is the greater David who will set up a kingdom forever. That's what Christmas is all about. And Father, I pray that if there's anybody here who has never experienced that new birth, who has never placed their trust in Christ, I pray that even today they might do that. And I pray for us who do belong, Father, that you would help us understand the great privilege that it is to belong to you. And so, Father, help us to appreciate that very first Christmas night and the story it brought to us. In Jesus' name, amen.